Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I know what it's like to hear those three words. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. One day I said to my wife, Linda, that I hated the fact that I had cancer. And she looked at me and said, no, sweetheart, we have cancer. This transformed the way I looked at cancer because every one of us is touched by it in some way. Patients and survivors, caregivers and medical professionals, and we all have a story to tell. On each episode, we share those stories to inform, inspire, and provide hope to all of us who are affected by cancer to remind us that we are not alone. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 162 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. My guest this week is Jason Greenspan. Jason is a testicular cancer survivor and was diagnosed at the very young age of 18. And Jason has made it his mission to make a difference in raising awareness for testicular cancer. He is the guy behind There Is Such a Thing as National Ball Check Day, and you can learn more about that at nationalballcheckday.com. You can also listen to Jason's new podcast, the Testicular Cancer Speaker Series, by visiting tcspeakerseries.com. You can also follow Jason on Instagram at jhgreenspan and on Twitter at jasonhgreenspan. Join me now for my conversation with Jason Greenspan. Jason, welcome to the We Have Cancer podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. And as I'm reading through your story, I mean, there were so many like moments where I was like, oh my goodness. So that being said, my first question is you're 18 years old and you hear the words, you have cancer. What went through your mind? I didn't really know what to think. The one thing that I remember is, it sounds kind of cliche, but my life basically flashed in front of my eyes. I never had that experience before, but I kept thinking, you know, I was only 18 at the time. And all I could think of was the past 18 years and nothing in the future, which was kind of hard for me. And I'm assuming you had, uh, you weren't alone when you got those, got that news, right? Correct. Yeah. My mom was with me. Yeah. We went to the doctor and, you know, he did the test and we realized pretty quick it it was testicular cancer. And after that, I then, you know, had to do more tests, but it it was, you never think it's going to happen to you. That's definitely the thing that I always like to say. You always think it's going to be somebody else. Yeah. How did it come to be? I mean, we, did you notice something in the shower? I mean, that's usually where, where guys are, you know, are checking, but I don't think I was doing that when I was 18, you know, it's like not on your radar then. How did, how did this all come about? Yeah. So I was actually just on the couch watching TV, had an itch. Um, and you know, I was kind of feeling one side and then the other side, just, you know, watching TV and one felt much harder than the other, almost like a rock towards the back of it. And, you know, then I started to feel the other one. And then I realized I'm like, this doesn't seem right. I, you know, I don't remember ever feeling this before. And that's then when I went upstairs to my mom, but 
I never had any knowledge of testicular cancer. I didn't even know it existed. Mm-hmm. So that's not a conversation every teenage boy wants to have with their mother. No, it's a good <laughs> thing I'm very close with my mom, though, so that helps. But still, sure. You know, I'm a childhood cancer survivor, much younger than you, and it wasn't until I had kids of my own, really became an adult, that I had the opportunity to stop and think the impact my diagnosis had on them. What was what? What did you see from your mom when you got the news and? You know, what did you learn in terms of her thoughts and her fears? So she, maybe disbelief might be a good word to use. My grandmother actually had just been re-diagnosed a few months prior to that. So for my mom, it was kind of a double whammy with both her mom being diagnosed, re-diagnosed, and then her son now being diagnosed also. Wow. So I think that was really hard on her. And we have a very close family. So I'm very close with her and she was very close with her mom. And I, I mean, I think it was kind of like everything coming on top for her. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like she was comfortable enough telling you what was, what she was thinking and what was her problem? I'm guessing probably not. I'm going to go with probably not. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think, I think, you know, I think she did her best to kind of just stay strong, especially because, you know, I'm the one at the end of the day who, who had it. Yeah. And I think she just needed to stay strong for me so that I didn't, you know, overthink too much or or worry. I think that was kind of her one, I guess, job as being a mom, I guess, is just, you know, really trying to not make me worry. Put on the brave face, right? Exactly. So, but knowing that, talk to me, you know, one of the things I always say on this show over the five years we've been doing this is caregivers don't get enough credit for the impact they have on us. 100%. What what did your mom do for you that helped you get through this? So she took off three months worth of work to sit with me in chemo every day. So I had nine weeks of chemo. She literally drove me to and from, went to all of my doctor's appointments And if that wasn't enough, I think putting up with me, even when I'm at the house, I think was definitely something she should get a lot of credit for. I remember, you know, I would be on the couch and she would sit with me just to like watch TV or, you know, while I slept. And she, I, I didn't want her there, like at that time, let's say. So I would say like, you know, can you go away? Like, I just want me time kind of thing. And then the second she got up, I was like, wait, where are you going? And like, I wanted her to come right back. So my mind was never really made up. So no matter what she did, basically it was the wrong decision. And that was just all from your reaction to what you were dealing with. And I'm sure exactly. the, the whirlwind of all kinds of emotions, fear, anger, all of that. Well, and the fact that she was the closest thing to me at the time and still is, but, and that's one of the reasons I think I kind of, you know, just took it out and lashed on her. Yeah. And she, she forgave you for that. She understood, right? Yeah. She knew (laughs) it was just that time. And, you know, eventually I'd I'd come to my senses and I'd be more normal again. Yeah. What's the status of your health today, Jason? So I'm seven years cancer free. I'll be eight years in November. So yeah, I've just been doing, I usually, you know, I was only, I only needed to get checked for follow-up after uh, for five years, but 
my mom and I still wanted to keep it going in any event. So I'm still doing that, just not as much. What has this experience done to your relationship with, with your mom? It's definitely gotten us closer, much closer. And I didn't even think that was possible. Because like I said, we've been close ever since I was little. And I think it's finally, it's something that I can never thank her enough for, for being there. And it's kind of that bond that minus just being a mother and son that now we share is that we act, we went through this experience together. And especially with how big of an impact the cancer has had on my life, it's really a part of my life. So including her in that, you know, in that story, um, I think is really impactful as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about all the amazing things that you have been doing since, but I want to talk more about that, you know, because people so often talk about the impact, sometimes not positive, that cancer can have on relationships of any kind. Specifically, how is your relationship, knowing that you already were close, how does it look different now? What's what what specifically is different? I think she's able to comfort me when she knows I need it. So like if I discover something, you know, odds are it's probably in my head and she knows where the fear or the potential fear is coming from and is kind of able to put me at rest and just be like, it's, you know, it's, it's nothing. But knowing where that fear comes in, I think plays a really big part. So this happened to you and you've had great results since and congratulations coming up on eight years. That's, Thank that's you. a wonderful milestone, but you didn't want to just let it go and put it in, in the rearview mirror and go on with your life. No. And, and most, you know, I've talked to so many advocates, but not so many advocates, you know, as young as you and what prompted you to, decide that you needed to do something to raise awareness? Yeah. So I, like I said, I hadn't ever heard of testicular cancer. I didn't know what it was. And, you know, the, the one thing I also like to say is when you're, when you're young and you go to the pediatricians. So I had a, I had a female doctor and it was, I hated going every year because <laughs> it was this female doctor. I was like a little boy and you have to get naked in front of basically a stranger. And that was like my biggest fear. So I hated it. And I had no idea why she was doing it. It was just kind of, I knew it was part of the routine, but I didn't know why. And I think if I had the knowledge back then, even as a kid, to know why she was doing it and what she was testing for, I think that would have helped me understand it better and maybe even accept it more. As opposed to just, all right, you want mom in the room or not? All right, let's do this. You know, he'll be done in five minutes kind of thing. So that definitely, and just really making sure all guys know, because it's very preventable if detected early or curable if detected early. And if people actually check their bodies and are aware of their bodies, everyone really should have that baseline Mm -hmm. for themselves. You know, everybody is different but you have your own baseline and you don't want your baseline to be once things have progressed, because then it's like a false baseline in a sense. 
you want your baseline to be at a good place so that if something happens and something changes, you know then, you know, what changed and can and can do something about that. Right. So that's critically important. But one of the challenges that I know that you've dealt with is people have this perception of, you know, certain cancer diagnoses, certain diseases even are quote unquote, have that embarrassment factor, especially oh, yeah. when you, especially when you're talking about anything that we don't show when we're at the beach, I think that's the best way to do it. So that yep. applies to men and women, at least beaches in the U S I won't you know, talk about beaches, <laughs> so, <in Europe. laughs> but most beaches in the U S no. So I would actually, part of your comment, I would actually counter in the sense of when you said about, you know, of, of covering up, talking about breast cancer, which is covered up, most people are very comfortable talking about. So that's why I'm going to counter that one. You're um, absolutely right, but they didn't used to be. And it's because the people in all the support organizations did an amazing marketing job. Some say not so amazing. There's you know, some people that are rightfully expressed concern about the pink washing of America. But, but there was a time way back when you didn't talk about that at all. And now we're at a point where, you know, even guys show up at breast cancer walks wearing pink bras and yep. made fun of, you know, making fun of it. But we still, when you go below the waist, it doesn't matter which side you're talking about, uh, you know, oh, that's, you know, we, we don't want to talk about that. But it's the embarrassment that can wind up killing you. It's not often you hear me on the podcast promoting a specific product or service. But when I come across something that I have personally tried and it has made my life more comfortable or easier to manage or help manage a side effect, I think I owe it to you guys to let you know about it. Early last year when I had a recurrence of colorectal cancer in my liver, I was put on full theory chemotherapy, uh, a common protocol for those who are going through colorectal cancer. And a lot of people refer to full fury as full fury, uh, a nod to the frequent trips to the bathroom that can result from being on this chemo. What I found was because of that, you know, a lot of itching and rawness and pain from constant trips to the bathroom. And I happened to see online a fantastic product made by a company called Lux, that's L-U-X-E, and it's a bidet that in about, I think it took me 15 minutes to attach it to the toilet seat, and it has knobs where you can control the, the flow and the pressure of the flow of the water so you get clean through a water rinse rather than constant rubbing and wiping. And toilet paper now just becomes something just to blot dry with at this point. And I find that if I need to use a restroom and I'm not home, I'm like, darn it, I wish I was home and had that bidet. It has made a world of difference to me. I tell my wife all the time, that's the best money we've spent in some time. So I want to offer it up to all of our listeners. You can visit their website real easily just by going to wehavecancershow.com forward slash Lux. Again, that's L-U-X-E. Check out their array of products. Pick the one you think is best for you. Trust me, folks, it's a decision that will make things much more comfortable, especially if you're going through cancer treatments as I am. 
Check it out again at wehavecancershow.com forward slash Lux. What have you come across, Jason, in terms of that issue and how have you addressed it? Yeah, so it comes up all the time. A lot of times, I mean, even which I'm sure we'll go into later, but you know, I had an event at my school to raise awareness and there was I, I was just eating either lunch or dinner in the cafeteria and I had all these advertisements on the tables. So every table had a little card for the event. And there was this table next to me, it was, you know, a group of guys and girls, maybe three or four people. And they were looking at it and just talking, being like, hey, like, why, why, like, I'm not going to go to that. And, you know, this, like, this is stupid kind of thing. And the only thing I kept thinking in my head was, you, if you only would know the person sitting next to you who's not saying anything. But I didn't want to say anything just because for me, it was, it was really cool being a fly on the wall and, and seeing, especially with these people not knowing me, because I, anyone who knows me knows my story. So if they hadn't, if they knew who I was, obviously they would not have said that, but it was really nice getting the grasp of, you know, what different people think and then how to counter that. And and to, you know, again, kind of just continue on that topic with the event, we ended up, you know, and I might be jumping ahead a little too much, but the, the school ended up saying no to the event. And they were worried that people would cause a spectacle and people wouldn't take it seriously because of the subject matter. And, you know, not that many people know that. And this is, you know, me talking with basically the person at my university who is the person to make this decision. And, you know, I ended up basically working with one of my professors, writing a 15 page event proposal of why the event was so important because of the awareness and how we're going to counter their concerns and what we're going to do for that if that answers your question it does it does and uk you put it right out there and you put on this event they talk about putting it right out there let's just call it what it is national ball check day (laughs) (laughs) so the event at my school was not national Ball. no i understand i was was transitioning to the other event gotcha Yes. Tell us how that came to be and and what that was about. Sure. Or is about, I should say, because it's an annual thing. Yes. So National Ball Check Day happens the second Tuesday of April each year. And it is really a day for people to, you know, encourage people to check, to check themselves. And and it's really important because again, kind of like how I was mentioning with once you have that baseline, it's really important. And obviously, you know, it's an annual event, but we are also encouraging people, you're supposed to do a monthly testicular self-exam. So it's it's not like do this once and then you can wait till next April to do it again. This is more of just to, to open the door to conversation of the topic. And then from there, we're recommending you continue doing it once a month. So between the event at the college and national ball check day. Is it any surprise you got into the events business (laughs) after school? (laughs) Was this the impetus for that happening? I mean, I will say, so when I started college, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. I majored in marketing. I knew that was kind of the path I wanted to go in, but I didn't really know the end result. And I used to always say that I wanted to do something with promotions or advertising 
um, ever since I was a freshman in college, but I didn't know what that meant. And, you know, I started off being in the cancer club at school, which plans the Relay for Life. So that was kind of my first real introduction to events um, and kind of just grew with that club and eventually did the event at my school. But then I also helped other people with theirs just on side kind of projects. And yeah, and then even after college, before I had my current job, I worked part-time with somebody who owned their own event planning business because I knew from there that was really where I wanted to be. I just didn't necessarily know how to get there. I wanted more experience and worked with someone. He gave me a lot of experience. And now, I mean, yeah, I plan events for a living. So it's amazing. And it's for a nonprofit. So one of my things was I really wanted to work with a health nonprofit. Mm-hmm because it's a way of giving back and you really see the result that's happening. I didn't want it to be for, which another path I could have chosen was doing it for a for-profit, basically event planning business. And I decided not to do that because I wanted it to be more impactful and meaningful. That's spectacular. So before we hit record, we talked about the world record that I got to be a part of at the time of this recording. It was last week. We're recording this mid-August, and it was the largest virtual podcasting conference through podfest.com. You, too, have been part of a world record event. Yes. How did that come to be? And and give us the give us a scoop there. Yeah, so I really wanted, you know, I'd shared my story all throughout college and I really wanted to make sure my legacy stayed when I graduated because I was afraid that all the awareness that I had done would basically leave the second I graduated because I didn't know anyone else who was a survivor at the school. And, you know, I was thinking of different things to do. We're thinking like dodgeball tournaments and I was kind of thinking just a bunch of random stuff. And I'm like, what's bigger than a world record? You know, so I went on Guinness's website and searched, you know, I was like, is there any record that someone else has done for testicular cancer specifically? And I found one and it was the largest simultaneous self-check for testicular cancer. Basically a bunch of guys, hands down the pants, checking themselves in one room and found out who was the current record holder, which was Darren Couchman in the UK. And reached out to him on Facebook. And one thing that was really important for me before attempting it was I really wanted to get his blessing because he's also a survivor and I didn't want it to be like a competition. I wanted it to be like a friendly competition. So it was really important for me that he was behind me and that it wasn't me competing against him. So I actually worked with him. I was in pretty much constant communication with him while I was planning the record and asking for ideas. And he, he was super supportive and a great mentor. And yes, so I you know brought the idea up to my school, which they originally turned down and came back with the 15 page event proposal. And yeah, the rest is kind of history, I guess, as they say. How many guys did you get together? So we got 236. The record was 208 at the time. So it was, it was amazing. My, my grandfather came up to the school to see the event. My parents came up and we lived, or we live about an hour and a half from the school. So it it wasn't like the closest drive. 
And this was also at night too. I'm just trying to picture the logistics around this. And <laughs> I have visions of signs on the door saying private event, do not enter <laughs> or oh, something. We, we, yeah. We did. Wait, I thought I was, I came here to practice, shoot some hoops. <laughs> what did I walk into? <laughs> and they said balls. I thought you meant basketball. <laughs> exactly. No, we, we had, we made it in two parts. So we kind of, it was in November. It was on November 6th. So we had it as two parts. We, when you first walked in, it was kind of like a no shave November. And that was because the fraternity groups, that was an event they did every year on their own. So we wanted to combine it to make the event bigger. And turns out more people came this year than other people had in other years to that same event because we combined it. So it really helped both of us out actually. Yeah. And then we moved everybody to, to the event room and we had a few doctors speak. We had, excluding me, we had two other survivors speak, both TC and both were actually from the area. So one was a former ship student. He graduated like four years before I got there. And then somebody else who I totally found by accident turned out he was the former principal of the Shippensburg area senior high school. And Ship is a very small town. So the fact that basically this was the only high school in the area. So the fact that this was a former principal of this tiny town's high school, I, I was blown away. So I asked him to come and we had the cheerleaders perform. Cause I was like, you know, we, we need to get, you know, a, as many different things to attract as many different people as possible. It, it was, it was awesome. We invited other clubs to have tables. So really anybody would enjoy it. It wasn't just catered, you know, to one person, but really anybody would love it. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. Did anybody find anything that was concerning? So I do not know. However, what we did in case that would happen, because we did think of everything, <laughs> is we had, so we partnered with Summit Health and um, they are, they own a lot of hospitals in the central PA area and doctor's offices. And so we partnered with them and they actually, one of the nurse, I believe the nurse practitioner had a table there. And pretty much if, if somebody felt, if someone felt they'd felt something, they could go up to the table in private and either talk to somebody or make an appointment to basically see a doctor at a later date on their own. And this was really because, you know, especially with, with privacy and, and just HIPAA and, and everything, we didn't want it to be public of, you know, who, who thinks they found something. So we really wanted it to be kind of a safe space for them to go and, and feel protected. But also know that there's a there's a resource there in case they think they found something. So you've got an open mic, and we've got men listening to the show. We've got women listening to the show. What do you want people to know? So this doesn't even just go out to guys. So obviously, all guys, check yourself monthly basis. There's different organization websites of how-to and YouTube videos but I think it also goes out to women as well. And the reason for that is a lot of guys, as you had mentioned before, are very embarrassed to talk about something like this. 
And I think a lot of guys at times can be not really wanting to share if they even did find something, whether it's out of embarrassment or whether it's out of, eh, it'll go away on its own, it's fine. And I think a lot of us, you know, are guilty of that. And I think having somebody's mom remind them or having somebody's wife remind them or girlfriend or even sister, you know, I, I think it's really important to really just kind of get the message in. And, you know, the other thing is, as you would say, guys, and, you know, men and women are listening to this. Well, maybe the guy who needs to hear it isn't listening to it, but maybe his wife is, or maybe his mother is. So he missed it, which is fine, but now his mother can then pass on that information. So I think it's just as important for women as it is men. Just like women are doing breast self-checks once a month or should be. Exactly. We need to be doing checking ourselves too. And really, you know, to your point, if you start with that baseline, then people say, well, how do I know? Well, something that wasn't there before pretty much is the, isn't that the easy answer? Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, mine was, it just felt like a rock. I had never felt it before. Now other people may not have symptoms. I didn't have a symptom other than that, but you know, everyone's is different. And that that's, a really good baseline to check to start with. I mean, definitely. And, you know, worst comes to worst, you think you feel something, turns out to be nothing. But at least you went to the doctor, you got the official okay, and now you can move on. But don't stop checking. Still do it once a month in any event. Yeah. Are there any uh, great online resources that you could recommend, Jason? Yeah. So, well, on the National Ball Check Day website, we do have a video of how to do a self-check. And... The Testicular Cancer Society is a great foundation, as well as the Sean Kimberling Testicular Cancer Foundation. Both of those have been very helpful, and they're just great resources. And they have a lot of stuff on the sites for people to use. We'll have the links to all the sites that Jason mentioned on the website accompanying this podcast at wehavecancershow.com. Well, Jason, congratulations on us very soon to be eight years. Thank you. Just spectacular. Thank you for the generosity of your time. Even if, you know, this message got to one person who is going to check because they hadn't before, but they heard our conversation, then this was time well invested by both of us, right? 100%. Yeah. And I just want to wish you on the all the best and appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Be well, my friend. Definitely you too. I want to thank the Colon Cancer Coalition for your longstanding support of the We Have Cancer podcast. As you know, folks, because of COVID-19, all of the charities that typically have, uh, you know, 5K run events, marathons, walks, etc., of all have all had to shut those down uh, because of quarantine, which has dramatically impacted their fundraising efforts. And these funds go to very worthy causes, as is the case for the Colon Cancer Coalition, which has been sponsoring Get Your Rear and Gear run walk events across the country for years. I've done my part in providing some financial support to them because they have been so supportive of the show and more importantly because of the amazing work that the team at the Colon Cancer Coalition does to fund 
local organizations across the country to help those in need get screenings and to do provide research for you know colorectal cancer and finding ways to treat it if you have the means and you or someone you love has been touched by colorectal cancer i know that i would appreciate and they greatly would appreciate any support you can give you can support them by visiting their website at colon cancer coalition.org forward slash events there you'll find all kinds of a, a virtual run walk events doesn't matter if there's one scheduled for your city or not it really doesn't matter your location but if you have the means to support them please give i know that the team there greatly would appreciate it and would i Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to the Colon Cancer Coalition for your ongoing support. You can learn more about the Colon Cancer Coalition by visiting their website at coloncancercoalition.org. You can subscribe to the We Have Cancer podcast, stay up to date on our latest blog posts, listen to the latest episodes, and much more by visiting our website at wehavecancershow.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at We Have Cancer Pod. And on Facebook, you can join our private Facebook group by visiting We Have Cancer. Thank you again for listening. Be well, everyone.